You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, tonight we're going to look at this passage from Luke. It could help if you have your Bible to look at it from there. Uh, the pew Bibles are the same page numbers as mine. I've found, uh, so if you want to look at it in a pew Bible, if you don't have one, it's on page 869. Otherwise, what I would suggest is to grab one of those pens and kind of make a little bit of a mark where the paragraph breaks are between 23 and 24, between 26 and 27, and between 28 and 29, because it's helpful to what I'm going to do is basically look at those four sections briefly in turn. And originally, I was only going to preach on verses 27 and 28, uh, but I think the message would have been too simplistic. Really, it's helpful to understand what comes before and after those two verses to understand even those two verses. And by the way, if you ever want to take notes on the sermon page, on page 14 there, we, we leave intentional space blank there if you ever want to to write any notes on the sermon, you can. Well, let's pray before we look at this. Father, uh, remove any veils from our hearts and minds, uh, from our, the eyes of our hearts and minds uh, now, Lord, so that we will be open to hearing your word through your Son and receiving it. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, the, uh, the context of, of what's going on here uh, before our passage even is that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem to die. And one of the things he's doing throughout his ministry, but as he's making his way to, to Jerusalem, he and his disciples are casting out demons, or as it says here, unclean spirits. And he has just liberated a man from a demon, and this demon made that man mute. He was unable to speak. And after the demon is cast out, this man is suddenly uh, capable of speaking. And of course, as you probably would be, you know, imagine this just sort of happened up here in front of you. You'd probably be amazed. They marveled, it tells us. After some saw this, they marveled. But our passage also tells us in uh, verses uh, 15 through 23 that there are two negative responses that the crowd also have. So some marvel, but then we learn here in verses 15 through 23, uh, two of the responses. uh, And uh, here in those uh, first set of verses, he's largely interacting with the first negative response. Uh, Later in verses 29 through 32, he'll deal with that second negative response. Uh, And one of the things I want to emphasize with our passage today in general, is that what we're seeing are two kingdoms in conflict, that the world, the universe, is really a tale of of two kingdoms. I mean, you might think that there are more. Um, There kind of are, but not really. I mean, the United States is kind of a kingdom, but not really. You know, the United States, no matter how much you love it, is not eternal, you know? But there are two kingdoms that are doing battle in an invisible realm that we cannot see, and yet this conflict has uh, an effect on our lives. Well, let's take a look at that, those uh, first set of um, verses here. Uh, but, but some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, referring to Satan, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. That's the second negative response is they're demanding this sign, which we'll get to later. But the first one is the accusation that he is capable of casting out demons because uh, he is uh, he's a pawn of Satan. Uh, 
And then Jesus responds to this by giving them a logical argument about how ridiculous that would be. You know, it would, uh, it would be ridiculous for, for Satan to allow someone to cast out uh, demons on his behalf because that would, tear, that would divide Satan's kingdom. And Satan's kingdom, as we learn, is actually of this world. He is the prince of this world. Uh, and yet, there is a king and a kingdom that is above him that's even stronger. And that's why uh, he goes on to say in verse 19, And if I cast out de- demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Apparently, there are some people, as we see even the disciples, some there in, uh, amongst the Jews who are capable of casting out uh, demons. But that's not really what I want to say. Here in verse 20, But if it is true... But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying uh, there are two choices. Either he is doing it like they say uh, uh, at, at Satan's disposal, or it is by the finger of God. And those are the only two options he gives. And, uh, and he's saying he's, he's implying I'm doing this by the finger of God. When a strong man fully armed, referring to Satan, what what he's saying here in verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so no matter how strong the armor of Satan is the armaments of God are more powerful and able to release, for example, this man uh, from his burden of having the demon that made him mute. That's what's going on here, uh, which reminds us of, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the full armor of God, for example, that that's the, the, uh, the, the armor that, that Jesus is wielding is the same thing that, that Paul talks about there in Ephesians chapter 6. And, uh, and then he says, as I said earlier, this is a tale of two kingdoms. And that's why he says in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is coming uh, to gather uh, people to himself, and either they'll gather with him, just as we're gathered here this evening, and as we're given the vision and revelation that people will be gathered around him, either that's the option or they will be uh, scattered away from him. <clears throat> And then in uh, verses 24 through 26, uh, these uh, next uh, three sets of verses, actually, the next three paragraphs, uh, Jesus provides warnings related to this kingdom warfare. And here in 24 through 26, he explains that unfortunately some hear the true word of God and a demon is cast out of them, but they don't ever respond to the word uh, their lives are not transformed, and they don't follow God's instruction. And, and that leads to an even greater problem. So let's take a look at these uh, verses and their related warnings. What he says is, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, <clears throat> it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. I will go back to that person uh, from which I was cast out. Uh, because that person hasn't responded uh, to the word of God. If someone hasn't responded to the word of God, the demon will come back 
he will find the, the house clean because it hasn't been filled with the word of God. It hasn't been filled by, this, uh, by the Holy Spirit, by transformation. And so he's able to come back, and not by himself, but the state is even greater because he goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Well, there's a lady in the crowd as Jesus is talking about this stuff, and like I feel right now, and like you're probably feeling, because we're talking about demons and casting out demons and Satan and demons being released from people and coming back and bringing a party and having a new party inside of people. There's a lady in a crowd hearing all this, and she's really uncomfortable. We saw this several weeks ago in another teaching where there's someone there, and they change the subject. And so this lady changes the subject and says, uh, and uh, Uh, As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that... She's the first Roman Catholic. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and uh, keep it. Basically, she's saying, you know, she's in the crowd and hearing all this teaching about demonic possession and whatnot, and she's changing the subject and basically says, your mom must be so proud of you. Look at you all growing up and speaking to these great crowds, you know, and people listening to you. Uh, that's, that's basically what she's saying, and I really relate to this woman, because I'm pretty uncomfortable in front of you right now talking about demons. Um, uh, so, so I get it. And, uh, but Jesus explains to her in response to this, uh, in his own beatitude, and saying that, uh, that no one is inherently blessed, that no one is inherently blessed uh, by their, their family relations or cultural affiliation. Uh, you know, just because Mary's his mom and Jewish doesn't mean even she is inherently uh, blessed, but only those who hear the word, who both hear the word, and also uh, respond to it are blessed. Um, and you can see how this, this interaction with this woman is actually kind of more commentary on what's been said earlier in verses 24 through 26. And now finally, the last section. This is uh, verses 29 through 32. Jesus responds, as I said earlier, now to, at this point to that second negative reaction to the crowd seeking the sign Uh, from the beginning of our passage. Uh, The request for another miraculous uh, sign, Jesus says that such a request is evil because the casting out of demons should have been enough. You know, do you want more? Can't you, this is plenty. Can't you plainly see the power of God here? Um, So once again, he continues his theme of the need not only to hear the word of God, but also responding to it in obedience, primarily by repenting. That's the, the, the demanded response when hearing the word of God is to repent. And he relates his ministry in talking about this uh, to uh, that of both Jonah and Solomon from the Old Testament. If you've never read the Old Testament before, these are two figures in the Old Testament who were servants of God, who were able to teach, who were able to preach and teach. Jonah went to a, a Gentile city called Nineveh, and he was reluctant to go, but finally he went and preached, and the whole city responded and repented uh, because of his uh, preaching. And there's also a, a, a Gentile queen of Sheba, as it says in this passage, the queen of the south is referring to this woman, queen of Sheba in Arabia, who left her home and traveled 
a very far way to come and hear uh, God's word through the teaching of King Solomon, who is the wisest man uh, ever to live up until this point. And now Jesus says someone even greater than both Jonah and Solomon is here. But the people still accuse and test him. So the people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba are greater in the kingdom than even the Jews who hear the word of God and do not respond to it. And once again, the needed response is repentance. Well, here are my reflections on this passage. I know it's, it's kind of a lot. A lot of different things going on. Thanks for bearing with me. I hope you kind of get the general gist of this. And I recommend kind of going back and meditating on it uh, in your own time. But here are my reflections. I, I really like that this passage gives us some very clear instructions on, uh, in terms of what's needed from us. And that is namely repentance. Unfortunately, though, some seem to respond, and yet their response is not genuine. That even seeing and experiencing Jesus' power is not enough for some to repent. Which, by the way, flies completely in the face of what some people say in our day and age, that if they saw God's power manifested in their life, uh, they would believe it and, and change their lives. Some people say that now. You've probably said this yourself, or maybe you know some people, but unfortunately... This is not uh, true for all because uh, their minds are veiled, just as we see in this passage. I mean, there was a guy who was possessed by this demon and couldn't talk, and then Jesus cast it out, and all of a sudden he was able to speak, and they still didn't believe. You know, what more do you want? And so that completely flies in the face of what some people say. If they could just see uh, God's power now, they would believe it. That's not entirely true. It might be true of some people but not all, as is demonstrated right here when Jesus was walking around and manifesting the, the power of God's kingdom. And this is because there are cosmic forces battling each other. As I said, that's the, that's the narrative behind this whole passage. And this battle affects all our lives. Some hear the word, but the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved, as Jesus explained earlier in Luke chapter 8 when explaining the parable of the sower. And yet, God's armaments are stronger than the devil's armor, as we learned in verses 21 and 22. And as I said, you can compare this to what Paul talks about as the full, putting on the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, to stand firm in that alone and put on all this defensive armor. And yet the, the one, uh, one weapon of um, offense that we're provided is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Just as Jesus wielded it in the, the, uh, the wilderness when speaking to Satan, that that Speaking the word of God was the thing that was stronger than even uh, the devil. Or you can consider uh, elsewhere in Paul's teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy, destroy strongholds. That even though, you know, we walk around in this material universe that we see and can feel and hear and taste and touch, the battle that's being waged isn't there per se. That there's another battle going on and we're participating in it. 
And uh, we have the divine power of God on our side to destroy any strongholds that evil forces have, uh, just as he said in Ephesians chapter 6. Jesus has more power than Satan. This is good news. This is a great promise from this passage. And he gathers to himself those who are for him. Those who are for him are like the men of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba. They have the promise to be those he gathers and will not scatter at the judgment. And repentance, as I've said, is the key to all of this. Repentance is the needed response to God's word. When hearing all of these things that explain the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God come and be manifest in Jesus Christ and what he's done to reconcile us to God, repentance is the demanded response at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, the beginning of Jesus' ministry in chapter 1, verse 15. The first thing that Jesus says in Mark's gospel is, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Or in Acts chapter 2, at the end of Peter's sermon there at the day of Pentecost, when all these people are gathered from all these neighboring nations, thousands of people hearing Peter proclaim the same message about what's happened through Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke in Acts explains, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I mean, the, the people hearing this, some of them were the same people who crucified Jesus. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, you won't be the, like the one where the demon is cast out of you and it's sort of still clean inside. It's sort of swept clean and empty, vacant. It will be, you will be inhabited by the Holy Spirit when you repent. What does repent mean? I feel like it's one of those churchy words that sometimes even I use and throw out there and assume that people know what I'm talking about. And we need to stop doing that because this is really important. This understanding of this word is super duper important. Because some people, I think, when we talk about repentance, they think that we're talking about merely confessing, you know, uh, some bad thing that I've just done. Uh, I mean, it's related to that. But repentance is a, a turning away from one thing. You know, if I'm looking this way and turning towards something else. And there he is. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I didn't plan that. But, you know, I'm looking at the world, and then I turn to Jesus. Ah, you know. That's repentance. You can remember that for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, that's what repentance is. Turning away is 180 degrees. You know, abandoning my old reliances and idols of th this life. That, you know, relying on myself. You know, turning away from myself and turning to Jesus. That's what repentance is. As we've been uh, talking through all these things in Luke's gospel, and I've preached on several of these passages I think it's bubbling up some, some things for people. I mean, Jesus is bubbling up some things for us. Because, I mean, as it happens, you know, people talk about Jesus meek and mild. I mean, he's, he's kind of the harshest guy in the New Testament, actually. You know, he's kind of the hardest guy to listen to. And so as we preach through the Gospels, he's saying some things that really get under our skin. And I think one thing that we, we need to talk about right now is assurance, assurance. I've given you one big churchy word, repent. Let's talk about assurance. 
And this is the major struggle I'm noticing right now is this need for assurance, which means to have confidence in some promises related to Jesus. You know, how do I know that I'm saved when we read a passage like this? How do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm secure and right with God when I read something crazy like this? How do I know, you know, aren't I saved by grace? Or is there something required of me? You know, you're talking about repentance, Matt. That doesn't quite seem like saved by grace through faith, because that sounds like a work. What is it then? Uh, For this reason, I want to look at, to sort of wrap up my sermon-ish, and we'll come to an end soon. I want to look at two verses of Scripture with you that give me assurance. I mean, there are other places we can go, but these two verses or sets of verses uh, help me, when I read something crazy like this, feel right with God. And the first one, if you want to turn with me, is in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And thinking about repentance, because, you know, if there, if there were a formula for repentance uh, in the New Testament, this is one. You can find another one elsewhere. Uh, for example, at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as I've just turned literally in front of you, Paul talks about turning from idols to the true and living God. But here's a nice... You know, if you want to have assurance to do what's said here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, okay? Uh, Where am I? There it is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is really important because I think there's a a major problem in American Christianity. And I think that for a while I was kind of duped by this because many of you know that I converted from atheism. And a lot of talk that I heard about, you know, being right with God had merely to do with, if you, if you Matt, would just believe that there's a God that exists and that his son is Jesus and that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead you will be saved. That's the message that a lot of people basically were implying to me. But that isn't enough, because as James says, you know, you believe, good for you. So do the demons. We're talking about demons. So the demons, and they shudder. There are many people who who believe that this might be true, and yet are not right with God, because of places like what James is saying and what we're hearing here from, from Paul. Belief, yes, And also this repentance, the turning away from former idols and trust in self. And instead, instead of making you or anything in this world Lord of your life, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord or King or boss or ruler, that that's what repentance is. So this is something that gives me major assurance that when I read this and say, you know, is this true for me? Yes. And if it's true for me, When I read some crazy things like I've read tonight from Luke, I feel all right because I know what Paul's told me here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and that's true for me. I'll read it once again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's the first verse that gives me assurance. Here's another one. You know, you're living this life and you've repented, you believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and uh, you've confessed him as Lord of your life, and then you keep sitting and you think, you know, well, am I still right with God? Because my life's still kind of a mess. Well, let's look at 1 John, not the Gospel of John, 
the first letter of John, chapter 1, which in the Pew Bibles is on page uh, 1021. This is in our comfortable words. We'll read it later tonight as we begin communion. Paul says, actually, let's look at verse, starting at verse 8. Uh, one, uh, this is 1 John, 1 John, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. And that's why each week when we gather on Sunday, we confess our sins. And so these are uh, two things that I hope that you can go to and come back to, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and 1 John, in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, to give you assurance about uh, repentance. And the thing that uh, Jesus is saying is the, the response uh, that, uh, is, that is uh, required from God when we hear his word. One uh, f- final thought um, I've probably said this before, and you, you know this. Uh, if you've watched any movies, there's an old film called um, Chariots of Fire, which is a true story about a missionary. And there's a famous line in there by the, the guy, Eric Little, who's about the story of the, the guy who was a, 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 a runner, a famous runner, successful runner, and then became a missionary. And he's talking about his running Uh, and who God made him to be. And he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I think that's a great line in thinking about um, responding to God and his word. When we hear God's word and respond, we will feel God's pleasure, like Eric Little. I mean, he might not have made you fast to run, but he's certainly made you to be one of his children and wants to see you not only hear his word, but respond to it in repentance. And when you do this and have the assurance of places like Romans chapter uh, chapter 10, verse 9, and 1 John chapter 1, you will feel his pleasure. And so I want to leave you with uh, these final words of assurance, assurance for those who are in Christ, those who both believe in their heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess him as Lord, the King of life. This is from John uh, chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is from Psalm 62, verses 1 through 2. My soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And as I read at the very beginning of our service, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.